In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to my Partner Up with Amy Carroll podcast series. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I am delighted to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the October episode of my podcast series. If you want to find out more about me and my previous guests, feel free to listen to previous episodes on my website, either carolcoaching.com, or you can go directly to the voiceamerica.com business channel. Be sure to download the app or just tune in using your favorite podcast app. Now, if you missed my last podcast, I interviewed Stefan Wiedner. And Stefan and I discussed something, the topic of psychological safety, specifically in the workplace, and why speaking up and expressing concerns, ideas, and mistakes in a work environment can be daunting. Stefan gives leaders the tools and tips for harnessing psychological safety. This, in turn, provides teams with the courage to say what they need to say and the confidence to know that they're going to be heard. Now, my guest today is Talitha V. Welcome, T. Hi, Amy. T is my buddy and social media gal. And I invited her to join me today because we're going to be talking about a book we both recently, I would say, listened to most accurately. Yes. I've really gotten on the the audiobook bandwagon, listeners. I'm loving it. And the, too. Yeah, I know Thanks you really are too. Well, yeah. you you're a runner. Do you listen when you run? Not so much when I'm running. I'm a dog walker as well. So three oh, that's times true. a day I'm out walking, which is oh, wow. when I take the time to enjoy the mm-hmm. podcast or the, the books. Thanks to you. Yeah. Cool. Now, mm-hmm. this book title is called When the Body Says No. The Cost of Hidden Stress, and it's written by Gabor Mate. Mm-hmm. Amy, how did you discover this book? You know, I can't remember. It, the very first time I read it, it's been, I'm going to guess, eight years ago at least. Oh, wow. And what caused me to rediscover it, I can remember that, is... Um, I got to interview Terry Reel on my podcast twice, once about his first book, New Rules of Marriage, which I highly recommend for anyone in any kind of close, intimate relationship. And his second book, which came out this year called Us. And he casually mentioned, oh, yeah, Gabor Mate, you know, friend of mine. And I was like, (laughs) Gabor Mate is your friend? (laughs) Yeah, it was pretty impressive. So that's what inspired me to read it again. Mm. Yeah. You inspired me in turn. Yeah. And so that's what, it, here's the thing, T, and you may remember this part in the book. For me, what was really exciting about Mate's work is that he describes three types of individuals, which for me totally yeah. parallel the communication model we use so much in our work, mm-hmm. predator, prey, partner, developed by my sister, Pat Kirkland. Yeah. 
So listeners, if you're not familiar with the book or with this model of predator-prey partner, I'm going to give you a very high level explanation. Under pressure, well, let me back up. Even before, when we're not under pressure, most of us are behaving as partners, meaning we're holding high respect for ourselves, high respect for others. The problem begins when we're feeling under pressure, stress, perceived threat, crisis, COVID, or just if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Mm -hmm. And we either slip into predator where we're holding too much respect for ourselves, not enough for others. We could sound aggressive, arrogant, disrespectful. Or the prey who, you know, and that's P-R-E-Y, my friends, you you may be thinking P-R-A-Y, though they may be doing a lot of that because they're really nice people and they want to avoid conflict at all costs. The irony is that when you're too nice, that will trigger often a predator reaction from other people. Mm-hmm. Now, Gabor Mate, well, let me say a little bit more about his book. It's really a fascinating, eye-opening book that he's written. He draws on deep scientific research, which and he provides answers to critical questions about the mind-body link and the role that stress has or stress and our emotions have on the makeup of common diseases and illnesses. Super interesting. Yeah. And now here's the thing, T, that really, this is the what caught me the very first time. It's the only thing I remembered from the book the first time. Mm-hmm. He talks about three types of individuals. He sure does, yeah. Yeah, you remember. So type A, mm-hmm. I would say are... Uh, people who he talks about being easily uh, very, very angry, rageful. They express their anger in this very over-the-top way. Mm-hmm. And he associates the illnesses around the heart with that heart disease, heart attacks. And mm-hmm. for me, what he's describing is what we call predators. Sure is. Yeah. And then let me skip from type A to type C. He said, people who are this type, uh, this style, they sometimes have weak boundaries, have difficulty speaking up for themselves or sticking up for themselves. They can be described as submissive and they Mm. tend to keep feelings inside and suppress them. And they tend to do a lot of caretaking. Well, for me, this is a direct description of the prey Mm -hmm. in the model of predator prey. And what were the illnesses he mentioned with type C? Uh, he, he, and again, he, it's amazing that he can categorize them. He talks a lot about autoimmune illnesses and cancers. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Now I'm guessing the listeners are saying, well, what about that type B you skipped over, Amy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, listeners. Type B, Mate describes as having assertive healthy boundaries. They're able to speak up for themselves and set limits appropriately. He said, this type of person doesn't have any known associated illnesses. Incredible. And what he's describing to me, that sounds like partner. When you're holding high respect for yourself, high respect Mm -hmm. for other, you say what you need to say in a way that other people can hear it. Yeah. It's interesting because with the body of work that we do, Amy, and everything that I've learned over nearly five years working with you, 
not everybody has that luxury. Not everybody has that insight. What luxury? The luxury of consciously working on your own behaviors and mindset to to be as close to partner as you can be. True. And I know that prior to doing this work with you, I could fly into a rage as much as I could be the prey. Okay. Somebody went crazy at me. So what? With these three archetypes coming from the book, it sounds like he's almost not blaming the link between the illness and the person personality type. That very close link. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a T right now. I'm worrying to me. Yeah, and 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 understandably because I'm imagining listeners right now. There, many listeners. You may be coming a bit reactive or defensive. Yeah. Either maybe you have an illness or you know someone close to you who, who does, oh, and you yeah. might be hearing blame. Mm-hmm. And Mate talks about that in his book. He says clearly this is not about blame. Mm. It's about responsibility. Right. And I want to add the word possibility. Mm-hmm. So even though he spends, I don't know, it felt like half the book talking about uh, personal stories of people, their illnesses and their personality style and how they behaved yeah. and and how we could either you know easily hear a predator personality or a prey personality. And the thing is, what's cool for me is I actually don't say personality, predator, personality, prey, personality. I say predator mode or prey mode because we're all capable of stepping into all three, like you just said a moment ago and myself Mm -hmm. included, you know, I would, my flip flop under pressure was more predator. And maybe I went prey very rarely though, what I have trained myself to do and what you're doing as well is how to stay partner under pressure. Yeah. And my sense is, Oh, you know, all these years, like, yeah, it's, that's great for relationships and getting outcomes and making life easier and not feeling resentful. And now I'm like, Oh, wait a minute. There's a much bigger gift in all of this. Yeah, absolutely. So what he says is we got to look more broadly at the impact of our surroundings in society as contributions to illness and not just consider our personal biology when factoring in the origins of illness or pharmacology when factoring in solutions. There is much more available to us. And I guess, you know, what T and you and I were talking about, what do we want to say here? I'm really interested in us having a conversation that is shifting it to responsibility and possibility. What can we as individuals do for our own yeah. emotional and physical well-being that can help reduce illness or heal ourselves, right. reduce the likelihood of illness or, or heal from illness? And this book is full of great ideas. Mm-hmm. So let's have a look at some of those. And let's share some of the examples of the beliefs before we do biology of belief yeah let's give a little backstory on the biology belief of belief this comes from a guy by name of bruce lipton who is a stem cell psych stem cell biologist that's a mouthful and part of his work his body of work he calls the biology belief meaning early experience experiences condition the body's stance towards the world and determine a person's unconscious beliefs about themselves. Yeah. And although the biology of belief is deeply physiological, 
Very cool news. It's not irreversible. That is good news. So yeah, so now let's jump those into beliefs, those. Yeah. yeah. Some of those beliefs that he shares are, I have to be strong. Oh, yeah. It's not right for me to be angry. Oh, let's go even slower because the listeners need to let this sink in. Mm, you know, so, so I have to be strong. Yeah. Uh, and I really, as, you, as you're listening to this, I, I really want you to try that on like a jacket in the store. Does this fit me? Is this true for me? Yeah. I think throughout life, I've definitely told myself that I have mm-hmm. to be strong. Many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next one is it's not right for me to be angry. Yeah, that's definitely not a belief Especially I ever had. For children. <laughs> Especially for children, as we as you listen mm-hmm. or read the book, mm-hmm. there's lots of references to adults shouting or reprimanding children. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole thing about suppression of anger for children and young mm-hmm. you know, younger. So that's very interesting. You're also making me think that for the listeners, listeners, as you're digesting these examples of belief systems, you may want to imagine when you were a child, did you get that message from someone in your environment, a teacher, a parent, a, um, another, you know, a grandparent, somebody important to you? Did they communicate to you? It's not right to be angry either because that's how they felt for themselves or they were imposing, wanting to impose that on you. Yeah. And that could absolutely ring true for adults too. And this next one, I think situation is corresponds. Right. There we go. If I'm angry, I won't be lovable. Yeah. Both children and adults. Imagine that. Okay. Number four, I'm responsible for the whole world. You know, I definitely don't have that belief, though I know people who do. And I think a lot of people who, again, I'm going to stereotype, and I don't remember if you mentioned this in this book, I think children who are firstborn children, probably, this is probably a very common belief for them that they're responsible for the whole world. Yeah. And I've had that feeling as well growing, growing up. I don't know where it stems from. I was the third child, so that's not necessarily the reason you know me being first born or whatever oh okay if you're if you're a caretaker which is what i have been for many many years wanting to take care of the other before taking care of self i think that comes in being responsible for others the whole world mm. anyways it's unique for everybody the next is i'm not wanted Oof. that's tough then that is a tough one then we've got a classic i'm not good enough yeah i if i really sit with that one i suppose that was one that i have believed in certainly in the past mm-hmm. and may yeah. still believe in some parts of my life yeah okay the next is i don't exist unless i do something mm. that yeah people who stay busy <laughs> yep. 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 That's a big one for me. I, I've got a, a little bit like I had to prove myself or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then I must justify my existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's maybe related to that belief of, you know, I've got to really? prove myself. Yeah. And the last one, I have to be very ill to deserve being taken care of. Wow. You know, I, I just feel like this alone is a huge gift for listeners Mm. because listeners, once we 
know something, we can't unknow it. I mean, you might go into denial. You might want to push it away. And if you do push it away, if you feel a very strong reaction to one of these, that's probably an indication that there's something there to explore. And you don't have to do it today or tomorrow. I love that. I love that, Amy. If you if, if you know, when you learn something, you can't unknow it. Yeah, yeah. So now that you know that there might, you know, like if you take the one about, um, I... I have to be very ill to deserve being taken care of. Oh my gosh. There's so, there's a huge gift in that realization. If that's a belief, right? Mm -hmm. Because once we have awareness, we can start to make different choices. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and if the thing is, if we're to heal, it means that we have to reverse a lot of these belief systems that we instill that often at a very early age, the healing agent is the internal state that needs to be changed. Gabor, Gabor talks about healing not as a battle, which I was delighted to hear. He talks about it as a constant ebb and flow. Mm. And that, what a relief, because it's yeah. not like you have one shot, one time, it's got to get it sorted out. There are, right. and, you know, we talk about many different ways to approach healing from different dimensions. And that's where the ebb and flow comes. Mm, beautiful. And people may think it's a one-time deal, like it's do or die. It's important to realize that it's progressive. As you said, it's not irreversible. And something that can Hold on. continue. It's it's not irreversible. It's irreversible. Exactly. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure that yeah. was right. And make sure they got the, the, the right flow. It's not irreversible. Yeah. No, no, it is irreversible. It is irreversible. Thank you. No, 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 no. It it's irreversible. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the other yeah. ones. What we <laughs> want. What we want to say is it's reversible. It's that's reversible. What, that's all we know for sure. Okay. Okay. We'll keep it that simple. So it's something that can continue, and it could take a long time to happen with many different methods. And as we said, the awareness is already the a great place to start. So he refers to this as a bio psychological social model of healing wow yeah yeah and it's yeah it's really multi-dimensional mm. um gabor also says insight is more valuable to people than advice love that and so that's why you know just us sharing this list you may get in own your own insight and i also wonder if that's why coaching is such a powerful tool for so many people because it enables people to find the solutions and insights themselves. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. What does he say about compulsive optimism? I remember that part of the book. Um, he says, oh, it's amazing. You know, and and the listeners, it might be the word compulsive that gives you a little clue. He says compulsive optimism can act as a blockage towards healing. Yeah. This was shocking for me to hear. Yeah, it's an aha moment for me too. Because we go along thinking if we're optimistic and we're positive, we stay in that positive mindset. We see a lot of that across social media. And he takes it to a different level. Yeah, he talks about this. He, he calls it a two-pronged approach that includes two questions. First question is, 
for listeners, your let's if you have an illness, he he says, ask yourself, what does this illness say about the past and present? Mm-hmm. And then the second question is, what will help the future? Let me repeat that for you, listeners. Question one, what does this illness say about the past and present? Mm-hmm. And what will help the future? You may want to write those questions down. He says, and here's the good news, negative thinking can be very valuable. It's because it's a willingness to consider what is not working. Yeah. And he says not posing these questions can actually be a source of stress. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when we pose these questions, yeah, you may have some short-term stress in the moment thinking about it because it's going to be maybe scary or uncomfortable. And I'm guessing it's the lesser of the two evils. Short-term stress to get a huge insight that can lead you down a path of healing. Yeah. And Amy, it's interesting that Gabor says autonomy is impossible as long as a person is driven by anything, whether that's fear of the boss or fear of boredom or even FOMO. Yeah. Fear of missing fear out. Of missing out. Mm. That That's anyway, huge for me. Yeah. We mentioned this before in our chats, didn't we, while we were discussing the book. Many people experience that, the fear of missing out. And in a way, yeah. a person is still unable to say no, even if it's to his own drivenness. Yeah. That's what yeah. Gabor says. While it's true that genuine joy and satisfaction will obviously enhance well-being, pause states of mind, which are generated to tune out discomfort, actually lower resistance to illness. So positive states of mind, which are generated to tune out discomfort. So that's me. You know, I'm sometimes keeping myself busy in order to avoid the discomfort. That could lower... Yeah, yeah, resistance yeah. to illness. So that was really that that gave me more, you know, gave me pause to say, okay, where are some moments in my day where I can just, you know, even if it's just three minutes, you know, just hang out and be. <laughs> Bottom line takeaway for me in this area is negative thinking can prove to be very valuable. Mm. Uh, something else he says in his book, which I found really also powerful, is some really sage advice. Okay. So we're, what we're doing listeners is we're giving you some nuggets mm-hmm. and you're welcome to take with it, take, take what you like from it. So this one, you're definitely going to want to write it down. If you have the choice between feeling guilt versus resentment, choose the guilt every time. Because resentment is soul suicide. Wow. That's a huge one. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, T, I'm, uh, I've moved on to another book, which I've told you, you've got to read this, which is Brene Brown's rate, latest book, Atlas of the Heart. <laughs> You're going to love it. And uh, Brene talks about resentment. She said, I assumed it was related to anger. And I also thought it was related to anger. In fact, she says it's related to the category, you know, she talks about categories of feelings Mm. and how it's actually in the category of envy and jealousy. 
So we realized that knowing this will help us find a strategy or find exactly what we need. Only they have free time. So like that was Brene's thing and that, you know, oh, they have free time. So she would feel resentment towards them, thought it was anger when in fact it was envy or jealousy of wishing she had more free time. So she understood once she saw, oh, resentment is in the category of envy and jealousy. She was able to start to say, what is it that they have that I want more of? And then she was able to say, I need to build that into my life. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Yeah. So let me say that quote one more time. If you have the choice between feeling guilt versus resentment, choose the guilt every time. Because resentment is soul suicide. There we go. How are we doing for time, Amy? You know, let's pause uh, in a moment because uh, then we'll just uh, take a little break. And uh, in this break, I want to mention listeners, if you're ready to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. You'll find details on my website, carolcoaching.com. And when we come back from break, you'll be hearing more about when the body says no. Oh, and T, you have a little, what, what's your flash, your announcement you wanted to make? Maybe you give a little bit of an insight. Is that about a certain trip to? I did. We mentioned that Bali. before we started today. We do. We have a beautiful all-inclusive retreat called the Complete Retreat, which will take your communication skills to the very next level in an amazing destination. Yeah. So we'll both be there for mm-hmm. sure. And you can find details of that on Amy's website. Don't miss out. The places are limited. So please check that out. As yeah. Soon as you can. The complete retreat. Okay. So listeners, stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you have colleagues, family members, or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated, or annoyed by others? As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make Your Partner Look Good is a philosophy from improvisational theatre, as well as Amy's favourite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behaviour changes in voice, body language, words and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, Back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back. My guest today is Talitha V, my buddy and social media gal. 
We've been discussing the book, When the Body Says No, the hit, the hidden, the cost of hidden stress by Gabor Mate. T, do you want to give a quick summary of the first half? Absolutely. These are the highlights of the first section if you didn't get to listen in. Number one, negative thinking allows us to advocate on our own behalf on what's not working. Number two, compulsive positive thinkers are more likely to develop disease and less likely to survive. And number three, genuine positivity empowers us to know we have nothing to fear from truth. You know, when we talked about those, the importance of asking those questions about, you know, when you have an illness and yeah, I think of my friend, Rebecca, she has this quote, she said, she says, it's better to know what's so, even if knowing may be bad news, at least it allows us to take action. Mm. I think that's, that has helped me a lot when I've been wanting to avoid something or procrastinate, Amy, it's better to know what's so. So speaking of, the uh, Gabor talks about the seven A's of healing. Should we jump into those? Yes, let's do it. Okay. And as a little teaser, though, we're going to talk about this one towards the end, my friends. Anger is uh, top on that list. And Gavor says, sometimes a way to jumpstart the immune system is through a burst of long suppressed anger. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really encouraging, right? For all you people yeah. who have been holding it in for all these years. Um, we're not saying, you know, yeah, don't angry. take it out. Yeah, don't take it out on, on an innocent victim, though. Do, do get it out of your system. Mm-hmm. So Gavor says, people with melanoma and other cancers would enhance their ability to reverse malignant process if they were helped to understand themselves and to become more self-accepting and assertive in their emotional coping styles. Ooh, that's loaded. Mm -hmm. He uses the term emotional competence and defines it as the ability to stand in a responsible, non-self-harming non-victim relationship with our environment. Okay, say that again, please. Emotional competence is the ability to stand in a responsible, Mm non-self-harming, non-victim relationship with our environment, with what's happening around us. And it requires internal, or the emotional competence is the required, and let me say this again, Emotional competence is the required internal ground for facing life's inevitable stresses, for avoiding the creation of unnecessary stresses, and to promote and further the healing process. And emotional competence is such a huge universe. Mm. So many different levels. And I guess we're all at different places on that spectrum. Well, it's funny you say that because he said, this this was a direct quote. I was so in a way relieved to hear this. He said, few of us ever arrive at adult age with full emotional competence. There we go. I don't know if that's I'm good news surprised. or bad news, right? I think it's good news. Yeah, it's, it gives me hope, though it's yeah. also a bit depressing to know, you know, we've gotten our driver's license, we've gotten our school certificate, we can drink <laughs> legally. And no one has, you know, handed us the emotional confidence certificate. 
No, it's definitely a process, right? Yeah, I definitely didn't have it at 18. I don't, I didn't have it at 20. I may not have even had it at 25. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing. It's recognizing our lack of it is not cause for self-judgment. Okay, listen right. up, right? Listeners, don't start beating yourself up. Remember, few of us showed up with it as adults. This mm-hmm. considered an invitation for further development and transformation. Yeah. In fact, see, I remember my first foray into self-development, I was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. What was that? Um, it was a 60-hour self-development course I took to become a volunteer at a hotline. And it was in East Lansing, it Michigan. It was it was amazing. Oh, there were moments I was so pissed off with those people. I remember... <laughs> We're like in this room, we're sitting on pillows and they're trying to get me, I don't know, to talk about my feelings, something, some reasonable request. And I, I didn't have a frigging clue what they were talking about. And I remember getting really young, right? Well, now it feels really young. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I have one of those moments too in my life. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's when I flew the nest and I went down to London from the Midlands in, in England and was joining drama school. And I just had this moment of clarity, standing probably in the middle of London somewhere with people rushing by and rushing against me and feeling, okay, this is me in the world, fully, fully responsible for me, emotionally, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear, how I'm, you know, where I'm going to sleep. And it, like a, a wave came over, over me. So I was 18, about the same age as you. Not sure where it went from there. And now, you know, I'm like mm-hmm. to be working with you and doing this body of work so and yeah. what was the did the theater course you took did that part to, contribute to a, any growth or insights um yes definitely because one I was the youngest person on that course ah. so as I'm feeling all grown up and leaving the house the family house I then get into this group of people where everybody's older than me and there were you know a real array different array of ages and so those people then become your your family so that also emotionally affected me Mm -hmm. yeah it's interesting how different disciplines can bring insight and awareness it doesn't have to be traditional therapy no absolutely yeah Mm. very cool so let's now move into the official list of the seven a's of healing The first one he talks about is acceptance of how things are now and not denying them and having this compassionate relationship with ourselves. Sometimes I know the one of the strategies I use to accept things is is I'll discuss my frustrations with other people. Good one. I'll notice how, I'm, you know, this is on a good day, noticing how I'm feeling. I'm naming those emotions. For me, that's a good day. That's a high level of emotional competence. Yeah. On a bad day, I might take it out on someone and think they're being a jerk. <laughs> Here, here's a great example. I get to practice this a couple times a week. Uh, there was some people moved in the apartment building that I live in below me and there are smokers. So often you know, I'll open up the balcony, get fresh air. Instead, I get a, a whiff of cigarette smoke and it's really easy for me to get angry about it. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm present, I'm cool, calm. I remember how gifted I, you know, life, how 
privileged my life is, what a wonderful, amazing space I live in. And I know that it's going to pass in five minutes. So those are the days when I can be where, thank you. I just close the door and then move to another part of the apartment and then open up a window on the other side. Or I just wait five minutes and then open up the door again. So that's acceptance, acceptance of the situation. Yeah. Yeah. What's the next one? Next one is awareness. We need to have a capacity for emotional truth recognition. People who, they say people can't understand words, the language, they're better at picking up lines, lies. Yes, I remember that when he says that in the book. So it could be maybe a, a like a little baby, a young, very young child before they learn to speak can start to, are, they're hyper aware because they have other things mm-hmm. they have to pay attention to. Or someone who doesn't speak that language. Yeah. Yeah. We need to pay attention and practice paying attention to our internal states and learn to trust these internal states more than our words or other people's words. You know, it's, and, it, and it can be in the tone of the voice, in the pitch, what the eyes are doing, how we're feeling and where we're feeling it in the body. Okay, so Amy, the tone of our own voice and the pitch of our own voice, right? It's no. All about not, um, oh. Could be both. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, yeah, because like if I'm talking, like, then that could be awareness. Hey, Amy, you might be feeling, you know, a strong emotion. Stressed. What is it? Yeah. Though if I'm hearing someone else's tone of voice, mm-hmm. um, that might give me information that they're stressed or angry or upset or right. scared. And awareness also means learning where the signs of stress are in our own bodies. As I was saying, this is a recognition or this is a regaining of our lost capacity to recognize emotional reality. Right. And apparently physiological stress response is a more accurate gauge than our conscious awareness, Amy, or observed behaviors. Mm -hmm. In fact, in his book, Gabor mentions Hans Selye, a Hungarian and Canadian endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. And he gives a list of physiological indications. These symptoms are messages to be acknowledged and that we pay attention to. So, for example, the pounding of the heart. I know that if I get stressed out, sometimes that happens to me. Something to do with fright. Yeah. Fatigue. Sweating, sweaty palms or getting hot. Frequent urination is another one. Headaches, backaches, diarrhea, dryness of the mouth, overattention or alertness. Yeah, sort of that hyperawareness. Yeah, classic. Anxiety, loss of joie de vivre, unusual impulsive, impulsivity. That one was really interesting for me because I can be kind of impulsive sometimes. And now to realize that that might be a sign of stress or other issue. Very interesting. Right. Irritability. Tendency to overreact. Yeah. That last one, it's usually too late when I realize it, that it's it's usually (laughs) stress related. So let's skip the third one on this Mm -hmm. list and move because that's the real juicy one. We'll get to that at the end. Let's talk about autonomy. Mm. When psychological freedom, so this is number four on the list, when psychological freedom and independence are consistently violated, this can lead to disease. All right, let me say that again, my friends. When psychological freedom 
and independence are consistently violated, this can lead to disease. Autonomy is that internal center of control. And one of the things he says is people suffer when their boundaries are blurred. And then he said, boundaries, boundary issues are at the heart of disease. T, it makes me think of the book we did a review on. Yes, me too. The book was written by Terry Cole, right? Boundary Boss. Yeah, Boundary Boss, that's it. And we did a couple of shows. Yeah, I think we did more than one. There was so much in there. Yeah. So I can recommend that. Yeah. There's also a couple of shows on your partner up with Amy Carroll business channel right here on Voice America. If people want to check that out, the first one, first part, we did two parts on the Boundary Boss. First part is show 64 and the title is Having Healthy Boundaries Makes You Brave and Generous. That was aired on November 19th last year, 2021. And part two is show 67, same title, and that was aired on December 10th. So please, listeners, go and check them out. This was really eye-opening for me. I just remember thinking, wow, I automatically thought I had boundaries in place. And when I read that book, I realized that I did not. Wow. Mm. Well, that's a really, yeah, I remember that insight. Yeah. So, you know, if we tie it back to what Gabor Mate said earlier, if you have a choice between guilt and resentment, choose guilt. I think in my experience, sometimes when I set boundaries, I feel guilty. Very true. Uh, you know, I recently set a boundary with a friend and I felt bad about it. Because mm-hmm. I knew she needed this thing. And I knew that if I did it, I was going to feel resentful. So I chose to say no, because for me, resentment is poison to my body. And I just wasn't willing to accept that. And so I had to live with the guilt. Brilliant awareness, Amy. Yeah. Research shows that people who are most susceptible to disease are the ones who have had the most boundary violations. It's safe to say that boundary violations can be physical or emotional, and they're, uh, they can be related to a personal, like personal items. Like if someone yeah. goes into your personal space or borrows something of yours without asking. Yes. There's loads of insane. examples. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Boundaries are invisible. Ask mm-hmm. yourself in my life, in my relationships, what do I desire, want more of or less of? And what this will do is it'll show where the locus of control is within ourselves. So let me say that again. The question to identify where you may need or want boundaries. You ask yourself, in my life and in my relationships, what do I desire, want more of, or want less of? Uh, Autonomy is the internal center of control. Amazing. Okay, so let's get to number five. This is attachment. And he goes into the attachment theory in the book. Attachment is our connection with the world. Our early attachment bonds, for example, through which we learn to feel anger or we learn to suppress it, even at a very early age. Seeking connection is a necessity for healing as humans. So, yeah, if you want to know more about that part of the book, head to number five on this list, Attachment Theory. Fascinating. Yeah. And this number six is assertion. It's Mm. a declaration to the world that we are and that we are who we are. It demands neither acting nor reacting. It demands being. Letting go of the very need to act. Mm. And the way I'm hearing that, Amy, 
it almost feels like when we talk about being in integrity and being mm. the authentic you, mm. yeah. just being something that we don't practice very often. Maybe. <laughs> okay, I love this one. Affirmation, number seven. It's important to honor our urge to express ourselves, whether that's through writing, dancing, cooking, gardening, surfing, painting, spending time in nature, whatever it is. We do this as a healing for ourselves and others. The opposite, doing, I guess, nothing and not creating, deadens our spirit. Yeah. The second affirmation is even deeper. He goes into a Gabor talks about the connection with the universe. So again, if you want to discover more, head over to the book. Absolutely. And now, drum roll, please. The final one, which was in the list as number three, is anger. The repression of anger creates physiological stress on the organ. Mm -hmm. So for all those people who are too nice and don't speak up, you're going to want to get angry for your own health. Yeah, it's the culprit. People who have cancer, this is what he said in his book, people had cancer who were able to express anger towards their physicians lived longer than their counterparts. Wow. Just from getting angry at their doctor. Yeah, the release of that suppressed anger. The expression of anger versus the suppression of anger has shown to be less physiological stressful. So it's better to get it out than to keep it in. And, you know, I've been the receiver of other people's anger, anger, and I've also been the angry party, the guilty person who's let her rage out. I'm sure we all have. Well, I, you know, if this is a tricky emotion since the outpouring of anger can be detrimental to those around us, it can also de be detrimental to the individual. They may experience high blood pressure, even a heart attack. Uh, and Gabor says hostility is the, uh, it is the draw in, no, let me say this. Hostility in the drive for dominance is directly related to heart disease. Shocking. So it's, it, it's playing both sides, how too much, too little, they're both problematic. The suppression of anger and the unregulated acting out of it are indications of abnormal releases of emotions, which are at the root of disease. Both of these extremes represent a fear of the genuine expression of anger. They both represent the fear of a genuine expression of anger. And for me, when I think about the predator-prey partner. Remember, the predator is likely to be rageful. The prey is likely. Well, sometimes I, you know, I'll describe the behavior as passive-aggressive. They're not able to be direct, so they do it in a very indirect way. Mm -hmm. This, to me, is the crux of being able to say what you need to say, being clear and kind. Another quote from Brene Brown: "People who pray to." Too People who are prey are too afraid to speak up because they're shy. Well, I don't know if it's just shy. It's um, there's all sorts of reasons why someone who is a prey is not willing or able to speak up. The problem is it's like a volcano. It builds up, builds up, builds up, and then they explode and they become predator like. And the people who are predators don't realize they're coming across so strong, too strongly. So, you know, someone who is a prey and then they explode and damage relationships 
probably feels even more horrible than a predator who does that because predators, we don't want to do it, though we're used to doing it. Right. And as I was just saying, I kind of uh, was saying a bunch of things at the same time. Someone who's a predator who explodes, shockingly, they don't realize how aggressive they sound a lot of the time. And that's really hard to believe. And then I pull out the video camera and I have them watch themselves. They're like, oh, oh, okay. That's, yeah, that's not good, is it? And the good news about this last thing is that a lack of awareness for most people is, an, you know, is what is allowing a predator to be a predator. So often when a predator realizes how unacceptable their behavior is, their motivation to change increases. Yeah, thankfully. And I like how Gabor refers to healthy anger, Amy. He says that it's an empowerment and brings us into a true state of relaxation physiologically. He says it's the physiological experience without what he calls acting out. It's a sense of a surge of power going through the bodily system while simultaneously a complete disappearance of all anxiety. When healthy anger is being expressed, you don't see anything dramatic. And from the book, I kind of remember he had filmed. Played fine by right there. Oh, okay. Uh, there was some kind of research where he, they had filmed people being angry and the observers didn't realize they were angry. They saw a real state of relaxation happening wow. in the body and the facial expression. So that's insane. We'd never imagined that. He says the muscles relax. And then he continues to ask, what is rage? And he says, when we're in a state of rage, then we're not relaxed at all. Our bodies are not relaxed. There's a tightening of muscles and a feeling of internal anxiety. So anger gives us an important information and should not be ignored or suppressed. Healthy anger leaves the individual in charge. Yep. It's to me when I coach people to say something slow and calm. Mm. That's so I say, okay, tell me what you're angry about. Let's say it. Okay. And I have them say it in this way. That's like, they're just talking about what they're going to do in the garden over the weekend. Slow, calm. That's what, that's the mantra for those of you who are predators or for those of you who are prey and afraid to say what you want to say, if you say it slow and calm, then that will often cause you to be more relaxed. Even though maybe inside you might be feeling some stress, you're appearing calm and relaxed and you want to do it without any sarcasm. So T, if you and I were colleagues and uh, I was upset, you know, I might say T, when you presented my material at the meeting last week, I was really angry and I'm still really angry. And I'd like to discuss how we can resolve that. Okay. So I say it to her in this way. I use her name. I go slow. I have pauses. I have no emphasis on the words, except I'm being really clear in my language. I was angry and I'm still angry. And here's what I want to do. And as a result, T, it's going to be harder for T to have a defensive or offensive reaction because she's able to take in the material and digest it. So and at the same time, Amy, are you then tricking your body 
into a more relaxed state because how you want to sending those internal signals. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Probably is T we only have two minutes left to finish the show. Wow. So really far, didn't it? Here's, here's what I'd like to go through listeners. He's got some great references and and we're going to give you the websites to four or five of them. So get a pen ready and listen up. First one is beginningyourhealingjourney.org. That's all one word, www.beginningyourhealingjourney.org for videos, audios, and a book. And then there's the Canadian Institute of Stress, and you can find that www.stresscanada.org. Stresscanada.org. Third referral is health newsnet.com www.healthnewsnet.com another one is a program i did he calls uh it's the landmark forum and that i found it just rocked my world and it certainly did for gabor mate as well and that you can find on www.landmarkeducation.com uh Last two, PD Seminars, P as in Peter, D as in David, pdseminars.com, www. And then Bruce Lipton's website, www.brucelipton.com. And that are some of those are some of the resources where you can go and get more insight and education. So I say, let's leave it at this. Gabor says, our cells can be either in defense mode or growth mode. They can't be in both places at once. So we want to encourage you, read the book when the body says no, get the support you need to live the life you deserve, my friends. Beautiful. Your last thoughts in the next 10 seconds, T? Yes. Join us for the Bali Complete Retreat. Looking forward to another show with you very soon. I'll start reading Brene Brown's next book. Thanks for having me. Great. Be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up and be inspired next month. I'll be interviewing another fabulous guest. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. It, T, it was great to have this conversation with you. Thank you. It's wonderful. And listeners, thank you. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.